Hey, this is John Horner Jacobs, author of Southern Gods in This Dark Earth. Check out Booked with the two most handsome men on the internet. Or for the first time, or for the last time, we share this moment, and I am grateful for this. Welcome to Booked, where two guys talk about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this week we're reviewing um, a book, but before we get to that, I'd like to say that we have what might be the specialist guest ever. We have Brayton J. Cameron. Uh, I'm going to... Oh, go ahead, Rob. <laughs> uh, we, we had this, for anybody who listened last week, we, we mentioned him a couple times and we kept coming up with, who, who is who's Brayton James Cameron? So uh, we're going to dispel all those rumors and mysteries and stuff tonight. So yeah, no I'm, question about it. Yeah, it's going to come up in this rather short bio I'm about to read. There was a time when He-Man was a good show, when Bill Cosby was king, when Ronald Reagan had a memory. That was also the time of Brayton J. Cameron. Born in the back of a taxi on the way to the landfill, Brayton learned the value of quick wits, negotiation, and the hobo art of camouflage, or garbage camo, depending which side of the Mississippi you're on. Skills he uses every day while co-hosting the world's third most popular business-slash-comedy podcast devoted to the art of innovation, The Pitch, which you can find at duckfeet.tv slash The Pitch. Brayton's writing has appeared in the Nimrod Review, Dear Dear Wolf Bear Shark, This Endless Present, and Ghost Boners, among others. Brayton is also Skip Papersley. There it is. Hi, guys. <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Can you... First live, live <laughs> appearance on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Can you indulge us a little bit and just say hello as Skip Papersley? Hi, this is Skip Papersley. Oh, that's oh, brilliant. There's going to be a lot of that. I'm so excited to talk about books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I do love that somebody on the website commented and said, holy crap, I thought Rob was Skip Papersley, and that was the joke. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So apparently people cared enough to wonder, which is kind of nice. Oh. Yeah, and uh, and be nice. wrong, and they cared enough to be wrong as well. Yep. Um, so there's a specific reason that Brayton slash Skip Papersley is joining us tonight to uh, to review this book, and it is that um, he is the reason that we know about the author uh, Joey Camo. So the book we're going to be reviewing is called uh, "The Summer Has Ended and We Are Not Yet Saved." Um, going back a little bit, we talked about. Uh, Joey Camo, I want to say within the first 10 episodes, I mentioned um, it was around the time Brayton had given me a copy of a book called Bible Camp Bloodbath, which is uh, essentially this is a re-release with some extra stuff in it of Bible Camp Bloodbath. So um, that's the book we're going to be reviewing tonight. Here's a little bit about Joey Camo, and then we'll go on to tell you a little bit about the book. Joey is a firm believer in the idea that if you can't be a good example... You have an obligation to be a horrible warning. He writes the comic uh, Softer World. He has a degree in linguistics. He has a degree in linguistics. <laughs> That's a funny word to. It's funny that I got caught up on the word linguistics. I think I might just leave that in. <laughs> he has a degree in linguistics, which really only comes in handy when smart asses try to correct his grammar at parties. He really, really likes candy, like sour candies mostly. Fuzzy peaches, sour grapes, but man, yeah, candy. That's his bio from his website, A Softer World. I was wondering where Rob came up with that, because this is this is the awesome secondary bio that I came across on Amazon. Actually, Brayton, would you like to read the, the um, uh, abridged version of that? Sure. Uh, 
Joey Camo, born September 26, 1980, is a Canadian writer. He is best known for writing the text of the webcomic A Softer World. Joey Camo currently resides in Toronto, Ontario. He has a degree in linguistics. Rob, would you like to critique that second bio? Uh, it's great. Very succinct. Uh, very to the point. <laughs> I want to point out that Brayton did elongate that by one word I by did. adding Joey. I, apologize. I, put, I added Joey in there a second time. <laughs> so that's a brilliant, brilliant, really succinct uh, uh, author bio. I like it a lot. All right. Here's, uh, here's the synopsis of the book, which is uh, as short as that awesome secondary bio. Martin is going to Bible camp for the summer. He's going to learn archery and swimming, and he's going to make new friends. He's pretty excited, but that's probably because nobody told him that this is a horror novel. There it is. Yeah, I think that really encapsulates the sense of humor in the book, as well as the actual <laughs> things that happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really know what to expect from this, and knowing that it was... Um, I don't know, a remake of sorts. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later in the episode of Bible Camp Bloodbath. Um, yeah, I kind of you know, got the, the gist that it was going to be a little funny, but this isn't exactly what I expected it to be. It's, yeah, so should we start by telling like the gist of the story, like what actually the, mm-hmm. it's all about? So Martin's our main character, and uh, essentially the reason that we end up at a Bible camp is because his mother is, uh, uh, she does makeup, she's a makeup artist for like horror films, uh, yeah, Which special is, effects and stuff right. like that. But that's kind of like what she aspires to be. She's got kind of a regular day job where she does like a makeup counter in a department store type of thing. But the big thing is getting landing a job, you know, somewhere doing horror films, which she's kind of done on and off. And uh, she she scores a gig at a at a movie that she was really excited about. So it's kind of a big deal. But she doesn't have anybody to watch Martin. So. Um, Martin has the idea he had heard, overheard, you know, years ago, grandparents talking about a Bible camp, so he thought maybe he could uh, get the wheels turning on that, and so that's what brings us uh, in the in the direction of going to a Bible camp for the story. And uh, once at that Bible camp, it uh, it uh, takes less than a day for shit to just go horribly, horribly wrong, and, and there and there you have everything we're going to talk about about the plot of the story. <laughs> yeah. Brian, yeah. thanks for joining us. That was a great review. Yeah, it was... and, uh, hopefully <laughs> we'll be able to do much. this again sometime. I love the book. I love the show. See you guys later. <laughs> yeah, because it's a short story and because, um, I mean, it pretty much gets right to the action pretty early on. The That's the bulk of it. I mean, we can talk about the, the nuances of the different, you know, individual storylines and stuff, but that's pretty much how we get to... Uh, yeah, a Bible camp and everything going pretty, turning into a horror novel. Um, a bloodbath, if you will. A bloodbath. A bloodbath, yeah, for sure. It would be a totally different book if the original was Bible Camp Birdbath. <laughs> it would just be all arts and crafts the whole time. <laughs> so much macaroni. Yeah. Uh, Popsicle sticks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you guys want to tackle any specific part of this? I mean, we could talk a little bit about the the Bible camp um, trip. So uh, day one, so this isn't very spoiler, but pretty much as soon as Martin gets the Bible camp, the priest of all people um, just flips out and uh, and and winds up killing a few folks. Um, but Martin is is there and he's a little socially awkward, but he does manage to make some friends uh, among them uh, a couple of girls that he meets like as soon as he gets to, to Bible camp. So 
there's the romantic part of the story is that Martin, who's Martin's what, like 10 guys, 11, I think like 10 or 12, something yeah, like that. 13. Yeah. I was thinking definitely a number. So he, uh, he meets this girl. So you've got that kind of storyline going, but, um, they, there's another thread to this. That's, that's really interesting. And maybe you guys will be able to help me out with this. Um, the mother, while she's off doing this uh, this great job that she got uh, for this horror film, writes Martin uh, a series of letters, um, which which are just excellent, just absolutely excellent, and, and quite honestly, my favorite part of this book. I really enjoyed the letters, too. I did have a question on your opinions on them, because I was reading it, and I was wondering if we were supposed to think that Martin's mother was uh, schizophrenic, uh, and I say that because those letters reminded me so much of the letters of the appendix, uh, the whale's toe letters in um, House of Leaves. Did mm. you not kind of feel the same way? Oh, I mean, they wow. weren't obviously as like paranoid and full of, uh, you know, suggested rape, but <laughs> they were just as like swimming in between topics, just back and forth and crazy. I did actually think about those and thought about how much better this. I realized it was a whole different story, but how much more I enjoyed these letters than I did Daniel Lewski's letters in uh, in that book. Um, at first, not knowing what to expect from this, as I read the first one, I wasn't um, really sure. And I have some quotes from them, so I guess we'll be able to give some examples a little later. But I wasn't really sure if um, if those things were actually happening or not because I didn't know to what level you know of, of supernatural horror this book might be. Um. Yeah, as far as the letters go, I just... All right, so my impression of the mother overall is that, like, while she's well-meaning and obviously loves uh, Martin a lot, um, she's essentially just an unfit single parent um, for the most part. And I just thought that... I personally didn't think that it was, like, a manifestation of actual mental illness as much as it was just, like, her being inappropriate and... um, not really knowing what it is to be like a responsible parent. I thought it was more of like a a way to emphasize the fact that she's kind of out of touch with, you know, what typical parents do. Yeah. It seems like a lot of her relationship with Martin is trying to be the super cool mom, uh, that lets him stay up and watch horror movies all the time, or actually maybe forces him to watch them. (laughs) Um, you know, and, but, she's partying all the time and she just hasn't quite figured out where the balance is between super cool mom and actual mom. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and that's a big part of later in the book is, is Martin's desire to take care of her. So like, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. Was uh, <laughs> you, you were talking about, um, screaming blood spires or something. Yeah, um, screaming blood spires. Oh, yeah, like they do in the, the letters. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that, like, uh, A, I don't think that the letters were meant to be interpreted as things that are actually happening. Um, I think that uh, I, I took it as, like, a, a person with an overactive imagination, just kind of, like, blabbing onto the page. I mean, there could be, like, undertones of mental illness in there, but I thought she was just being weird for the sake of being weird. Yeah, ultimately, I think it's how she bonds with her son. And I didn't see much of an obviously, you know, the, the partying and, and stuff is, is one thing. But I mean, I, I really like their relationship and the fact that she really wanted to be 
friends with Martin, it seemed like she was providing well enough, you know, as well as she could on her, you know, makeup counter salary and stuff. So can I uh, can I give people an example? I actually pop the Kindle open to uh, to get to one of her letters. Yeah. Um, Hello again. It's me, your mother. I'm still in my hotel room. and My clothes are still sitting unpacked on the floor. It's not my fault, though. They have thousands of channels on the television here. There's a channel that is just a little girl's nightmares all night long from when she goes to sleep till when she wakes up screaming. The station just broadcasts chewing gum stuck to teeth and thread running down her throat as she tries frantically to pull it out. Parts of her body are made of insects and men keep stopping on the street to look at her. Yeah. That's Martin uh, would have loved the letters, right? And, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he really, I mean, it was obvious throughout the book that he admired his mother and, like, he was very forgiving of her shortcomings and he thought she was an incredible, awesome person. Like, um, I guess the the one example I could give was when he was explaining, um, like, uh, how how to do, uh, like, horror makeup for some gruesome thing that happened to someone and everybody was really kind of horrified for it. But, like, in his mind he was thinking, you know, he, they don't understand why his mom's so awesome. Right. Yeah. But I guess one of the things about the, the dynamic between Martin and his mother is that it has caused him to become a much more responsible person at a young age than he maybe otherwise would have been. So um, he's got a little bit of an OCD effect to him, which I really liked. I liked that uh, while his mom had uh, was sleeping in from partying, he was, you know to the point of like seeing something in the house that needed to be cleaned and strategically planning when he would be able to do it. Uh, um, but then also just like him being a much more responsible person and being able to handle things that, you know, someone of his age typically might not be as, you know, capable of handling. Yeah. And Martin, I mean, since it is, Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, since it is a, a horror novel and Martin has already had a, this like established relationship with his mother where they watch these horror films, he uh, becomes this like almost encyclopedia of what's going to happen in a horror movie, in this horror movie situation, um, and is probably the best equipped person for it. Because after all, like horror movies aren't meant to just scare us. They're meant to teach us what not to do when we're in the woods. Like you never run by yourself into the woods because you know you're going to trip and fall and then that person's going to cut your head off. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to agree with uh, with Rob. Uh, Martin, uh, as quirky as he was, was just a very, very likable character. And um, it can be really easy to to, to write an 11-year-old that, that adults can't relate to or can't understand or can't care for. And I... Uh, I think uh, Mr. Camo did just a great job both with the mother and with uh, and, and with our protagonist. So moving on to other characters, um, I don't think it makes sense to talk about like each camp counselor or each you know child. Um, but I think the overall uh, tone of the camp is just your basic slasher setup. You know, you have. The, uh, the the spectrum of different types of people that are camp counselors from, like, the really fit, you know, handsome, charming uh, camp counselors down to the, the nerdy, awkward, you know, bumbling ones. So, uh, and then, like, the same kind of spectrum of, of children who are attending, which is just a perfect setup for a classic kind of slasher story. 
Right, and they all are also just like almost... They're given as much depth as someone who's supposed to be a stereotype is. <laughs> um, you know, like it is just like the fit guy and it seems like he only cares about fitness. There's the girl who loves to play chess and every time she's mentioned in the book, it's there's like a, a reference to chess somewhere in the next <laughs> paragraph. Yep. Like it's always, it's always right on the surface. Yeah, it's like he almost focused on just fleshing out one specific detail of that character. Mm-hmm. Guys, let's face it, Bible camp counselors probably don't have a lot of depth. Wow. <laughs> Apologies to our Bible camp counselor listeners out there <laughs> who have not been killed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, but other than that, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a straight slasher through, through a good portion of it. And that's what I really liked about it, to be honest. Like, you just, you're going through this, and the, you're going through this story, and you're thinking, all right, so this is like, you, you know, we're, we've got an emotional tie to Martin, and like we see the, the you know, the struggles that him and his mother have gone through, and and they're quirky, but like you know, entertaining and everything. And then you get to the, the camp, and then just like shit just goes off the rails like immediately. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, there was no waiting. It was fantastic. It was like a flip of a switch, and it was like a murder fest. Well. I- even in the second paragraph, you start to see hints. Uh, I mean, of the whole book, you start to see hints of how gory this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read the second paragraph, or are we? Or was that just a? I was really kind of hoping to to talk about that during my quotes part. Oh, sure. You know, what, yeah. whatever. You know, yeah. I'm not gonna tell you how to live your life. <laughs> is there a, is there a whole lot else we uh, we can talk about, or are we pretty much done talking about the story? Are we gonna talk about Tony at all? I guess we could mention Father Tony, uh, the the guy who heads up the Bible camp, um, who, at least it seems uh, initially rather inexplicably, um, flips out and starts killing people, but uh, manages to be really goddamn funny along the way. This probably is my actual favorite part of the book, because I think I said, like, the shit going off the rails is my favorite part, but, like... The very interesting thing about this, and we're probably spoiling something to a bit of a degree, but it's it's unique, this situation, because I don't think I've read a book before where one one of the characters essentially is just experiencing like a psychotic break. Like he was a normal person who just like something, you know, clicked and all of a sudden he's just like all about murder. So he's even kind of like personally reflecting on the idea and he's like thinking about how you know oh i should think this is bad but you know what it's just a nice day to kill the shit out of people and it was like it was so cool to me that like it's not someone who necessarily experienced like x y and z to get them to the point where they're this like psychopath it's just someone who just like something clicked somewhere in his brain and now he just wants to kill people that does make it far more frightening even at one point in the book, he just goes, oh, is this about all those children I murdered? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's totally because you don't think about like, I mean, that's a legitimate thing. People just suddenly just for no reason at all will just like, you know, crack and just start killing people. And they and they and they're they're aware enough to know that they probably, you know, that like it's not right. But they just like they they reconcile it in their brains and they're okay with it. So it was such a cool thing to like see that as like what's what's happening. I loved it. I loved it so much. 
yeah, perfect slasher fodder too. You think about again slasher films like Halloween or, or Friday the Thirteenth, which had very thin motivations for the killer's killing. I think in Halloween, it's just like he's evil. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that kind of brings me to a point that we should probably talk about. First of all, I noticed that none of the three hosts of this particular episode were uh, were very concerned about the murder of many, many small young children. <laughs> um, <laughs> but socially speaking, um, is this? I mean, is this a good time for this? You know, is this a good time for a book to come out that's about a psychopath murdering children for no reason whatsoever? I mean, we've had this in the news several times of late. Um, I obviously didn't have a problem with it, uh, and you guys didn't. But uh, is is this a bad time to release something like this? Is there a good time to release a book about someone murdering a bunch of kids? I mean, like... I think that I'd, I'd have more of a problem with someone rationalizing like there being the right time to do it than just doing it because like it's obviously not a how-to book on like murdering children. No, but what I'm saying is a few years ago prior to the 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 explosion of social media, you know, we had these school shootings and stuff, but you know, it just there wasn't a big platform to kind of air your views or, or you know, your thoughts on it. And it just seems like now releasing something like this could be considered kind of questionable by people with more morals and standards than the three of us. Sure. I mean, but you're in a difficult position because, well, one, there's no correlation directly. There haven't been a lot of mass axings at schools to be flippant, but to not be so flippant, you have, uh, the counterpoint being that the Bible continues to be printed and there's entire sections where children are murdered in en masse. Um, so, so, you know, it's been done <laughs> in, in the Bible, in which the Bible. is a great point, by the way, because I would have not reached all the way back to the Bible to, to validate this. So. <laughs> well, I feel like the people that are going to have that moral ground are also going to be people who appreciate the Bible in the same, same way. So maybe maybe I'm making a rude assumption, but, you know, there you go. I don't know. I, I see what you're saying, but I just think it's ridiculous to even consider like that this might have some sort of effect that could endanger children. Very well. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. Now I'm all bummed out. I know. Uh, <laughs> it went from <laughs> Father Tony's the awesomest. To, uh, oh, man. Yeah. Although. There's some issues with this book. One of, um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the original book, Bible Camp Bloodbath. But um, one of the things I dug about uh, that was the acknowledgments uh, in the back of the book where he actually thanks the person who he talked to about the actual like scientific like logistics of trying to beat someone to death with a ba- with a child's limb and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that makes you think like oh man he actually put some thought in <laughs> like <laughs> like is it possible to kill someone with a severed limb of a child yeah and I, like I remember to talking to him about it well, I remember talking to him about it and him saying that he really wanted to be able to do that, but then talk to the doctor and they said it was not possible and he had to write around it. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. Can you imagine being the doctor and getting that phone call or email? Like, hey, listen, I've got a question. If I had a child's limb, could I use it to beat another person to death? Yep. And then being the, like, because you're, you're put in that position where you're like, I need to take this question seriously. 
but it's mm-hmm. also deeply disturbing in many ways. Yeah. Well, I think that the part that's left out is the doctor said, no, you're a fucking sicko. And he was like, oh, I guess it doesn't work. The doctor said, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and then that disappointment that he must have felt like, oh, I was really hoping it would work. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, that but, was, uh, but, yes, yeah, that was, was another good. that was another great part in the book. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so we will we'll eventually go into quotes. I think a little bit, but um, knowing that this is a, essentially a re-release, um, I I haven't read Bible Camp Bloodbath since Brayden you originally gave it to me. I think in like 2010 maybe. So because yeah. yeah, I think that was the year it was released, um, and I'm having trouble picking up on what exactly the differences were i have my suspicions but do you want to talk a little bit about like uh how it was expanded or do you even kind i of... don't really know much about how it was expanded sorry oh. uh no i haven't read it since then either uh there were certainly parts that i felt were very familiar and parts that i did not recognize the beginning um i didn't remember like the book uh the summer's ended starts with martin's birth and i did not recall that so i know that was added in or at least i think it was mm-hmm. uh, livius you read it recently <laughs> um no actually i just thumbed through it um and my oh. take was uh, that entire book is contained i believe verbatim inside the summer's ended um but yes I, I, it does not start and like i said i mean i looked at the beginning i looked at the end i opened up six seven places in the middle um, it, it basically ends the same way. Uh, it starts the same, or it uh, does not start with the birth, as you said. But I mean, I read paragraphs that were the same. There does not appear to be any letters from mom that I saw. And I think that that's part of the big addition was the expanding on their relationship, both through, right. you know, the birth and, and things that happened prior to his going to, to camp and then the, the letters, which to me were just a, a, a brilliant addition. Yeah, I agree. I, I know the letters were not part of it. and But the never mind <laughs> oh were you gonna spoil something yeah i didn't want to spoil anything because uh. i i remember in uh bible camp bloodbath the two shower scenes being like back to back and that's what it was, <laughs> was so funny about them but they're still pretty great because they're right next to each other they're just like separated by a little bit yeah um okay so yeah my thought was that essentially like there was a little bit between it was essentially he uh, expanded a lot on the relationship between Martin and his mother, so that's good. Um, those, but the letters, dude, um, pretty fantastic, <laughs> pretty fantastic stuff. That the emails that uh, the mother sends. Yeah, at first I thought they were just letters, and then I I was very confused, kind of going through uh, because I thought they were letters. Maybe I missed it somewhere, and. And I was like, how much time has passed that he's getting all these letters, but yet it's only been like a day and a half in his world? Like, how often is she writing? And then, of course, it made sense when they found out they were emails. Yeah. Yep. You guys ready to to do some quotes? Um, This this book, for me, suffers from PDF syndrome. I did not do any quotes. Um, and the other thing is that just like a, it's just pretty much the entire thing is just one awesome quote, uh, especially the the mother's letters. So um, I don't have anything specific that I'm going to go to, but yeah, guys, go ahead and throw down. Brayton, why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Okay, uh, as we mentioned, the beginning of the book is Martin's birth, and it's discussing uh, in in pretty delightful details uh, the pain that uh, Martin's mother 
is experiencing. And uh, a big part of it is just like talking about how they're not, the doctor's not giving her drugs for the pain and how uh, frustrated and upset she is and how she wants to murder the doctor. And she's planning on doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and she has this plan that she's thinking up, but she's so delirious that it doesn't quite work out. And what she says is the following. Bring your neck here is what she wound up saying. Bring it here. Bring me your neck. The bed sheets were wet with her hands, and the doctor smiled even wider. Can I tell you who that makes me think of? Please. That's totally a David James Keaton thing. Like, that dude would write... Or that dude either would have written that somewhere, or he would have a real-life experience where he was, like, planning to murder someone, but, like, was incapacitated. And, like, (laughs) revealing his plan to him, like, unbeknownst to himself. But, yeah, awesome quote. Very, very true. Um, my first one I thought really uh, <laughs> read in the right tone, which I probably won't deliver. I thought it was very indicative of how some of these um, murders go down. Um, the the priest has, uh, I believe it's the first victim, Mitchell, and uh, the rest of it should explain. There's a, a camp counselor coming to the office where he's currently holding Mitchell. Mitchell was duct taped to a chair and bleeding out of his face in the center of a bunch of garbage bags. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room for interpretation here. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, at this point, um, Martin is trying, comes up with a plan to try to get uh, some of the campers off out of the Bible camp so that maybe they can get help and get saved. Eventually, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't quite work out, and uh, uh, Martin and Tony have a bit of a confrontation. And after a bit of a well, a wonderful monologue, actually. Uh, Tony says the following. Anyway, Tony said, I'm rambling, aren't I? Don't worry about the jellyfish thing. If if that jellyfish had stung her out in the ocean, it's not like it would uh, we would get mad at the jellyfish, would we? Why, why are your impulses any less natural? So go on, get out of here. The heart wants what the heart wants, and sometimes the heart wants to throw jellyfish on little girls. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole book. Yeah, it's it's really delightful. <laughs> While we're on the subject of little girls, I also have a quote related to that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use that against you. Like, I'm going to cut that. Oh, right. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Wait, is it just going to you're going to auto tune Livius into singing "Thank Heaven for Little Girls" at the end of the episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've already made him a Holocaust denier, so. <laughs> yeah. There, there is. Um, this is from a very long email from the uh from mom who at one point is getting phone calls from this old man and <laughs> this is what she she says during one of these uh these phone calls there must be little girls here i said if this is where the dead go little girls die all the time it's part of life's charm yeah. these are the emails uh, she's sending the... her like 12 year old son <laughs> the <laughs> The old man and his dog, Mitchie, and the little girls are from another Camo story, one bloody thing after another. Nice. Nice. Good pull. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't catch anything else if he's, she's, you know, he stuck some other stuff in there, um, but there you go. I actually kind of maybe have one, but it might be spoilery, so you guys have to tell me if I, if I can do it or not. It's when Tony's... I mean, we're kind of spoiling anyway, but it's not going to be any less fun reading it. But um, it's when Tony's talking to Chip right before he takes does Chip in. 
and he's trying to, and he's almost got Chip convinced that Chip was the one that was killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, after after he cut his leg, almost, he's cutting sure, his leg. Yeah. yeah. So, is it? What do you think? Should I do this? Sure. All right. So, um, Chip is in the uh, Tony attacks Chip in the shower, and Chip's like the big buff fit guy, and um, Chip's in the shower, and Tony attacks him with an axe, and he basically hacks the hell out of his knee, and Chip is so embarrassed to be naked in front of him that he's like not even um protecting himself he's just hiding his his uh his his penis so he's not like you know so he's he's trying to like maintain decorum in like the most ridiculous time ever where he's being attacked with an axe and uh so when he's on the ground before you know the end comes tony's talking to him and uh uh And Chip is saying, why, why, why? And and Tony says, it's been you all along. You went crazy and killed Cindy. You killed those children. No, Chip says, he couldn't think properly. I didn't kill, I didn't kill anyone, did I? Tony poked him in the bloody knee with an axe. The lower half of Chip's leg was barely attached anymore, connected with some tendons. Chip screamed and Tony jumped to his feet with a laugh. I'm just kidding, Chip, Tony said. It was me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh. I don't I don't have a quote for it, but there's just one part in particular where um, uh, Tony, I, I believe Tony's convinced someone that uh, <laughs> that he has to go up to like the main house to use the phone or or not to use the phone. I'm sorry that his his brother, his little brother's up at the main house. So this kid goes up there and he waits around for a long time and eventually he starts to go in and he hears a noise and he starts calling out for his brother and Tony just does a kid's voice like and it's not convincing at all like he's just like it's me Mitchy oh that's, oh, that's so great. good <laughs> that's what I, yeah it, the, the the absurd moments are just so wonderful in the book and yeah. yeah like it's that moment where you're like Oh God! Is this really happening? Yeah, yeah. I have a couple of quotes from uh, from Mom's emails again because love that stuff. Oh, woe were the hours since we last spoke. I'm not being funny. Those hours were seriously woe. Fuck those hours. Which uh, which I really liked. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, another one. She's describing uh, someone who she she met. Um, you know, when she left her hotel or whatever. As I smiled and said hello, and he looked at me like I had asked him what his hair tasted like. <laughs> yeah. So, again, I think that the whole book is just, like, ridiculously quotable. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, packed with those types of moments that are either, like, completely absurd or really, you know, kind of insightful in a weird way. Mm-hmm like this one this is very insightful he stopped beside adrian's head and gave it one last gentle kick it rolled down the stairs and father tony smiled some people went their whole lives without getting to do that (laughs) (laughs) it's nice that the book gives us a perspective of like a person who just goes on a killing spree because we are not like just like you said we're not gonna ever hopefully hopefully we're never gonna have that experience for ourselves i have bucket listed several of the items mentioned in this book (laughs) all i'm saying oh all right (laughs) okay rob would you like to kick off the wrap-up uh sure are we are we good with the quotes oh i'm sorry i think we are yeah yeah brayton 
Yeah, I think so too. I was considering doing the the quote where she said something like, "I'd love you no matter what, even if you were gay. I'd probably love you more if you were gay." <laughs> That's the the nice thing I like about that quote is like the next her follow up email is, "I wouldn't really like love you more if you were gay." <laughs> Yeah, that's like, how it starts. Like, of all the things she says, and this is like, you know, a dozen emails in, this is the one where she's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I'll kick off the wrap ups. I'm going to make it really easy. Um, the layers of this book are essentially you have uh, a pretty nicely established relationship between a mother and a son that's just like kind of fucked up but endearing um really like martin as a character the mother as weird as she is is pretty entertaining um and then uh the next layer is just like complete insane chaos uh in the best way possible you've got this preacher who just snaps and starts just indiscriminately murdering people in very entertaining ways and uh yeah i (laughs) that's all you really need to know about it i thought it was uh, I thought it was excellent as Bible Camp Bloodbath, and I think that um, just adding the depth of you know more of a relationship between Martin and his mother makes it a better book. So that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I loved this book, and I love that he he made it better. So I'm just gonna go straight to five stars on this. Brayton, would you like to go next? Wow, sure. Um, I have to agree with with Rob. Um, it really. It's fascinating, like adding in those letters added so much more endearment to the story of just it takes you out of just bloody, disgusting murder and into this kind of sweet relationship between a boy and his mother and really sells the ending that much more than it did before uh, when it was Bible Camp Bloodbath. Um, There's a a delightful love story. There's just uh, kids being kids. And, uh, you know, I really, when it's not hilarious, it's disgusting. There were parts that made me really uncomfortable. Um, uh, and then when it wasn't being one of those, it was, like I said, being really endearing. So I'm going to say probably like four and a half stars just because uh, I already read most of it as Bible Camp Bloodbath. So I guess that kind of gets it a little bit down for me. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah, everything those guys said. Uh I didn't read Bible Camp Bloodbath. I thought about reading it, and then I'd heard Brayton, you know, did said that it was kind of like just an expansion of that. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to take this in, and um, yeah, funny, um, just really, really gruesome in parts. Um, but I'm going to go back to what I've said all along: um, his relationship with his mother and the letters that were subsequently. And I'll be really honest, I would have liked this book. I think as Bible Camp Bloodbath, I wouldn't have known the difference, obviously, had I just read that first, but. Um, I, the letters really, really put it over the top for me. Love dude's mom. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it five stars. Joey makes it out. Okay. With us. Joey makes it out with five stars, man. Not yeah. many have done that. Few, few have. I want to talk a little bit about what else, uh, Joey has going on before we move on to our other news. Brayden, well, I... we mentioned earlier that he, he writes the text for a softer world which is a webcomic that's been going on for many years now, probably I think it's 2005. I thought it was like 2003. I could be wrong about that, but... Maybe 10 years? I have no idea. It's been a long time. And it's uh, basically a photo uh, webcomic where there's a photo that's cut up into pieces. Joey writes a text for it, and it is 
sweet and scary and weird and funny and everything you want it to be in these three photos. It's not like a contiguous thing, but definitely check it out. Uh, I think it's really great. Um, let's see what else he wrote. Uh, Lockpick Pornographies one and two, which I think he's called the gayest books you'll ever read, uh, <laughs> which are these kind of uh, uh, gay anarchy erotica stories that are really fascinating. Um, there's uh, one bloody thing after another, which is another horror thing but not a slasher it's much more um traditional i think as far as horror goes um uh there's overqualified rob you want to talk about overqualified overqualified now here's the thing about it i actually haven't read it but um this was actually my first one of my first exposures to joey cabo in general is uh brighton hit me up one day and he's like oh i'm going to see joey cabo up at quimby's in chicago he's uh He's doing. He's reading from Overqualified. And you want to go? And I was like, uh, yeah. So um, we we saw him read several of of the bits from the book, which is essentially a collection of. And this is this is released what two thousand nine ish maybe. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Uh, kind of when unemployment was a huge huge deal, and uh, he he pulled together a collection of. Uh, cover letters that he wrote for for jobs that were very very humorous and uh um yeah so we got to see him read those live at quimby's and talk to him a little bit afterwards and it was just damn hilarious it was a really nice way um to to be introduced to him and um from what i understand it's one of his more well well known uh pieces of writing right yeah and it, it should be stated that it's not just a collection of cover letters like weirdly it's like a novel about this guy's relationship with his brother told through cover letters. Which are hilarious. Which are hilarious. Like, there's a great one about where he's applying for a job at Nintendo. And uh, <laughs> and he talks about how he wants there to be a game where the relationship between Mario and the princess have like has faded and deteriorated because he knows that, like, she's been sleeping with... with uh, Bowser while they're not together and then there's like a part in the game where you have to like tap A rhythmically to pretend you're sleeping when she asks you questions at night <laughs> like do you still love her oh it's good it's good um, and then the girl who couldn't come you didn't mention that that did you I did not no go ahead yeah. Um, go. Yeah, you can go for that one because um, I mean I've, I read it but it was again a while ago so I'm not as boned up on that uh collection of short stories right and uh yeah erotic erotic short stories which i remember the one the one that sticks out in my head was the one where the girl can't have an organ it's kind of the the titular story if you will um yeah where she can't have an orgasm unless it's johnny cash right that's uh has -hmm. to be playing yeah yep I read that right after I finished um the summer has ended i immediately went to and read in one sitting it, it was short, but yeah, in one sitting, read through the girl who couldn't come. Good stuff there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting all the erotica <laughs> after having just finished Bible Camp Blood Bear. Um, the summer has ended. Yep. I, I wasn't expecting that really, really hard shift to like almost porn in places. Yeah, Dude, dude's got chops. He can. Uh, he can be. He can go from slashers to porns to uh, Nintendo stories. I guess now would be a good time to mention that uh, we tentatively have an agreement from Joey Camo to join us here on the podcast, for which Brayton Cameron will be returning 
as himself and not Skip Papersley, I believe, or are you going to do the whole interview and Skip Papersley? You know, if it was anybody else, if it was <laughs> Sean Ferguson we were interviewing, I probably would have done it. You know, if it was David James Keaton, I probably would have done it. But you guys have never talked to Joey before. I don't want to ruin it for you. Well, we appreciate mm-hmm. that. So uh, hopefully later this week we'll be back up with uh, with another episode, and that will be a Joey Camo extravaganza spectacular. I've actually had a couple people tell me that they have uh, wanted to interview him, so we're in a in a an enviable place of actually being able to get him on the on the phone. So there's that. I was just I was bragging. The people uh, who are going to be listening, you know who you are. I'm better than you. Was it? Is it me? No, because I I've wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. No, but you can't envy me because you're going to be on the episode anyway. Well, yeah. All right. Um, before we move uh, to some other news, is it okay if I talk a little bit about something that came up yesterday that, Livius, I haven't even mentioned to you, but I find hilarious? Ooh, surprise stuff. I love surprises. All right. Uh, shifting away from Joey Camo, uh <laughs> so... <laughs> I have, on occasion, when I don't have other podcasts, uh, new episodes to listen to, uh, gone over and re-listened to some of our older episodes, um, just, you know, for uh, because I'm a little bit narcissistic, but also because uh, I just want to, you know, kind of critique us and see where we can get better. And so let's do that yesterday. I'm driving. Um, actually, I just left Livius. Uh, we had met up to exchange some, some uh, booked promotional gear. And uh, I'm in my car, and I don't know what I did, but on the app, on the iPhone's podcast app, I, without without meaning to, I, I had hit the button that made it so that we were playing at half speed. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever <laughs> want to just laugh, uh, listen to our podcast at half speed, especially like when we're being more jokey and not serious. Because it just sounds like we're so high, it's ridiculous. There was I can't remember what what it was that I was listening to, but like we just sounded like the biggest idiots. We just sounded so dumb. And at regular speed, we sound just fine. But at half speed, we sound like the dumbest people in the world. I thought it was just wonderful to the point where I, I spent the next like half hour or whatever that I was driving and listening to us at half speed, listening um, to five minutes of our podcast. Yeah, just because it was so yeah. damn entertaining. Um, so if anybody ever wants to laugh, um, find your, your, your favorite kind of more jokey part of an episode and just drop it down to half speed. I guarantee you it's going to be an entirely new experience. I should have, what I should have done was prepare like an example, but I didn't. Um, I have spent this entire time. Yeah. 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 No. I spent this entire time reading these softer world um, comic things, and uh, uh, some of these are really goddamn good. Yeah, it's great. I've been turning a lot of people onto it lately because it's Joey's been, you know, kind of at the front of my mind. So I'll just, you know, randomly in conversation bring it up, share people, share it with people. So, um, uh, Brayton, did you happen yes. to prepare anything for the episode this evening? I. Uh, I didn't, but I know a guy named Skip Papersley who's just itching to tell you about the news. Livius, you have to you have to do your your musical intro intro, Livius. <laughs> damn it! I promised I promised Brayton that you would do the musical intro. <laughs> you know, it probably would occur to me to do that. And now that you said that, you stop laughing. 
<laughs> All right. Without further ado, this is the first and probably only ever live book to news. This is book news. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Author of Harry Potter and the Casual Vacancy, J.K. Rowling announces she secretly wrote a book called The Cuckoo's Calling under the pen name Robert Galbraith. At the time of its release, The Cuckoo's Calling received good reviews but mild sales, and now it's flying off shelves. Having heard the news of how well this is working, Stephen King announced he wrote all of Joe Hill's books in order to give his son a bit of a boost. Also, James Patterson claims the author of the Bible also wrote all of his books, but he still retains the rights. In other news, military novelist W.E.B. Griffin recently suffered a heart attack and has been hospitalized. The 83-year-old is in good condition, says doctors, and that he should recover. Reports from nurses say, state that he's also working on his next series of novels, where an old World War II vet is hospitalized after a heart attack and escapes hospitals to thwart terrorist attempts. The tentatively named Geriatric Terror series is expected to begin December 2013. Finally, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. The number five spot has been infected by Affliction by Laurel K. Hamilton. James Patterson goes off the deep end with his second honeymoon in fourth place. The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman is at the end of its stay at number three. Kahid Husseini bounces back with number two with And the Mountains Echoed. And in first place, it's Dean Brown with his hot little number, Inferno. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. I just want everyone to know that, that um, when we were talking earlier about the live book news, he said, yeah, you're going to hear how much editing actually goes into this. What you just heard is absolutely edit-free. This guy does this so much better than we do. Yeah, total professional here. You got lucky this time. Normally I stumble over like 15 things. I'm serious. Uh, nice job. But you bring up an interesting I mean, point. Yeah. Oh. So, no, no, go ahead. I'll retake No, that. no, it was just a joke. Go ahead. We don't do jokes on this show. I apologize. I forgot. It was, it was, I thought it was my other show. Mm. Oh, the the pimping comes later, Brayden. Oh, I'm sorry. You brought up an interesting point about uh, about J.K. Rowling. So this book is getting um, it's received some critical acclaim. Um, what was it? The Cuckoo's Calling. The Cuckoo's Calling. Yes. Um, that she decided to write under a pen name because you know she wouldn't want to make another billion dollars off another piece of crap like uh, the Casual Vacancy. But you know the Casual Vacancy got panned pretty hard. So apparently she is capable of writing, you know, allegedly a good book. I, I wish we would have uh, known about this 11 hours ago, Rob, and we could have been on it and reviewing it like right away. There's still time. We, I mean, <sighs> J.K. Rowling, didn't we swear off J.K. Rowling after that? Well, no, it's we're going to be reviewing Robert Goldwraith or whatever his name is. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to have a meeting mm. about this. Booked a meeting. I, I, I assume she was doing it so that she could get a fair criticism. I think that maybe she thought that after Harry Potter, everybody was out to get her for casual vacancy. I know you guys weren't uh, because you didn't care, but um, I I mean, I could see her thinking that, right? Like a lot of, you know, if you take a a band that's been critically praised for multiple albums, it seems like the critics kind of want them to fail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the problem is like you're held up to an impossible standard. Like, um, when you write something like Harry Potter that basically redefines young adult fiction, you have to redefine everything you do after that or you're, you know, a disappointment. So um, 
it's definitely an impossible standard. And I can, I can, I fully understand why she would want to distance herself from that type of criticism and, and just go back to the basics of being judged on, on the merit of the actual story. So yeah, it totally makes sense. I, I don't question her judgment on that at all. Um, uh, in the article, it said that she was, she, she said something to the effect of the article I read at least is that, uh, she said something to the effect of, uh, she was hoping that she could have kept the secret longer. Uh, I'm assuming so that there was more of, you know, more time for the book to just kind of perform on its own without people knowing it. Below. It was it was hers, um, yeah. which now makes me think if we review it, we're doing exactly what she was hoping people wouldn't do. Hmm. Mm. Do you think she played us and she really wanted us to review it? Oh, and that yeah. that's what it was, is that she did this just <laughs> so we would have to. She tricked she's us. She's crafty, that J.K. Rowling. I know. Dude, listen, she's like a gabillionaire, right? So if I had like a, gabil- <laughs> like a gabillion dollars, I would sit around and think of things like this to do to people. What's a gabillion? He's, I don't He's know. He's got it's, a it's good in, point. It's in, it's in pounds. It's in that oh, British money. Yeah. Oh, but that's got to be tiresome. Like, you know, she writes, I'm assuming she writes because she likes to write. So, like, just the fact that she's a quote to go billionaire um doesn't mean that she shouldn't still want to write stuff come on dude would you do any work if you had that kind of money anything no. at all no nope. exactly if i had one percent of that money i would never do a goddamn thing again in my life <laughs> i'd be that guy that they had to come get out of the house with a with a, um, a crane like they have to take out the side of the house <laughs> so your <laughs> rich fantasy involves becoming morbidly obese to the point where you can't navigate your own house if I had a billion dollars, that's exactly what would happen. Or one percent of a billion dollars for that matter. At least, I mean, that's I can't come up with another name for <laughs> fictional money. Uh, oh man, oh, I have no idea what to think of that. <sighs> Thanks, J.K. Rowling, for uncovering Livius's really weird money <laughs> fantasy. Can we move on? I think we can move on. Safely move on. All right. So uh, our last episode, uh, we, we talked about some really exciting stuff. We gave some concrete information on the booked anthology. Uh, when it was going to be available for sale and how we were going to celebrate the release of it. Um, so I figure we can just do a little bit of a recap of that information very briefly. So we have a variety of pre-orders available um, through uh, through the Book Podcast website. That's bookpodcast.com. In case you're hearing this on iTunes, I've never checked out our very nifty website. Um, the rundown, the short version is it's $16 pre-order book. That includes shipping if you are in the continental United States. Um, you can get a bundle where it's a physical book and an ebook of your choice, not a PDF. Well, you can have a PDF if you really want one, but you can actually get an EPUB or a Mobi. Uh, and a physical copy for $20. If you don't have a book shirt, we have them available now in two different styles. Uh, The traditional classic booked shirt. Um, You may have seen Rob wearing it in every picture he's ever taken. There's also a booked (laughs) anthology shirt (laughs) that's available. And uh, you can combine one of those shirts in sizes up to and including 2XL with a physical copy of the book for 30 bones. Does that about cover it, Rob? I get all of it. Uh, yes, ebook by itself. You can also order for eight dollars. 
That is true. That is correct. So it's uh, the only thing you forgot to mention is how amazing of a deal this is, and yeah. I'll fill it in for you. It's really amazing. It's like gabillion amazing. It is. The money that Livius is going to make off of <laughs> is not going to be nearly enough because it's such a great, that's what I'm saying, it's such a great deal. We're not making almost any money off of this at all. So he's you're very far from, you're keeping, you're basically saving Livius's life. He's not going to be a morbidly obese gabillionaire because we're, we're so good with the sales, with the deals. It's this almost as though Livius is saying, bing, bang, boom. I take two dollars, turn it into a gabillion dollars. <laughs> yeah. uh, yep. And in order to celebrate this release, um, the booked podcast team has managed to put together five great writers all in one place, one night only, August third, uh, seven p.m. at the Galway Arms in Chicago. That's right. Galloway Arms, 2442 North Clark Street. I memorized this. Um, the readers we're going to have are Chris Deal, Joshua Allen Deach, Kevin Lynn Helmick, uh, Richard Thomas, and uh, and booked favorite David James Keaton with a very, very special guest host slash MC slash whatever you want to call it, the guy that reads people's bios, Brayton Cameron. Hey, hi. Hey. I'll be reading from my new book, Ghost Boners. <laughs> I had a meeting with Brayton the other night. We had a very executive meeting at the uh, the Denny's in Palatine, and uh, we were talking a little bit about the logistics of this event. And he kept threatening to <laughs> read different things that he had written throughout uh, throughout uh, my my friendship with him. And uh, I kept saying, "Well, that doesn't really fit. Well, that doesn't really." And then finally, I'm like, "Yeah, he's got the power to just do whatever the hell he wants up there. So he's probably just going to do what he wants to." Maybe it'll be another live book news. <laughs> if you guys want, I could probably do another live book news. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But anyway, um, really looking forward to the event at the, the Galway Arms. Our first, our inaugural uh, reading that we are hosting. Which means, if you're, not, if you're not paying close attention, that means we intend to do more. Assuming this isn't just like a total Bible Camp bloodbath um, where like Brayton gets up on the microphone and then just like pulls a gun out of his pocket and starts shooting people. No, I wouldn't do it with a gun. All right, well, that good. would probably get us a few more listens if that actually happened. <laughs> this is the moment you can actually hear the moment when Brayton goes insane. <laughs> I just think it's funny. It's okay if I shoot people, but it's not okay if I read Candy Mountain too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's up for negotiation there. So anyway, um, yeah, buy some booked uh, anthologies. We can. Oh, the thing we didn't mention about this is even way better. The the whole like pre-order thing. Um, if you wanted to, you pre-order the book with us now. You let us know that you want us to have the people from the reading sign it. That can include me and Livius, which uh, like Livius said in the previous episode, unless you specifically indicate you don't want him signing it, he will sign it. Um, <laughs> Uh, and the five readers, probably we could even get Skip Papersley to sign it if you wanted to. So um, you don't even have to be at this reading to get a signed book. So like, let's say you live in another country or you live in uh, another state or you're in, uh, a morbid... Fort, Fort Hooterville, Indiana. <laughs> or you're a morbidly, morbidly obese billionaire and they can't get you out of your house. 
you can order the book. We'll have people sign it, and then we'll send it to you. So um, yeah, this is deal. You just can't beat it. And um, it's going to be something that goes away once the book is released, July 22nd. Bing, bang, boom. I do the hard work over here. Bigfoots are blowing up. Brayton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Livius. When you're not Skip Paversley, we understand that you have another project. Would you like to tell folks about that? Yeah, I do a, uh, a comedy business um, podcast with my friend Gary Butterfield, where uh, he and I play two, uh, well, he refers to us as like business magnates who uh, basically are obsessed with innovation and want to take everyday problems and solve them with everyday products. Uh, I think we're on our 33rd, 34th episode by the time this comes out. And, uh, you know, there's such such wonderful products as uh, booze foods, which solves the problem of eating and drinking at two separate times. Why waste your time doing both at the same time? Booze foods. Uh, uh, Pepsi Excuse Me, which is a product that... Uh, it's, it's Pepsi uh, gently reminding you that you purchased it and that it's in your possession because sometimes you forget. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Rob, do you have a favorite? <laughs> um, there, there may have been an episode that I was mentioned in. However, in the show notes, oh, yeah. uh, the name, the first... <laughs> and last name were spelled differently than how my name is spelled, so I'm not sure if it was me or a different uh, magnate. But No, uh, it was you. It was uh, our house, right? Yeah. The house that you rent by the hour so that you could bring people there to have sex with them. Yeah. That was my idea. It's kind of like a zip car for... <laughs> for Because uh, you don't want to take someone to a, you know, a no-tell motel. You want to class it up. You want to impress them, but you also want to be anonymous. <laughs> Right, and you don't want to take them back to your place because what if they become a stalker or your place is real shitty? Yeah, or you have a spouse. Yeah, that's oh, a good that point. That just went dark. We just went dark with it. Um, so I like that one. Yeah, um, so I, we cover a variety of, of products, and uh, you can check it out at duckfeed.tv slash thepitch. Or you can just get it on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Yeah, and uh, there's a... In between the episodes, you can get a little bit of a fix uh, by following their Twitter. What's the Twitter? Because like oh, you'll just throw up little yeah, yeah, mini pitches. Gary and I, Gary and I will do one product each almost every weekday because you know we're businessmen. We don't work on the weekends. Um, so yeah, usually two tweets. Some of them are great. Some of them are terrible. Most of them are terrible. Uh, but they're there. And if you love puns, this is really the place to go. Oh, you didn't say what it was anyway. Oh, yes, it's PitchPod. At PitchPod. You just edit me right back in there. <laughs> All right. I'll give you a couple. One's kind of <laughs> one's kind of weird and one's just like, oh, it's like a Roner. So um, mm. <laughs> from the makers of Backpacula comes Blood Bankenstein. Holds the blood content of 50 backpaculas. Fire bad, value good. Want to explain backpacula yeah. a little bit? Well, backpacula is a backpack that has the power of Dracula. So um, <laughs> it sucks your blood. And, you know, like when you have your homework and stuff in there, it covers it with homework uh, with blood because it's boring otherwise. 
It turns into a bat and flies back to the store so you can buy it again. It's backpacular. It's the best thing ever. It flies back to the store. <laughs> so you can buy it again. Um, here's the groaner. <laughs> Septic systems can be complicated. Go to Tank University to get your degree in tank maintenance. You'll say thank you for tank you. <laughs> So um, it should be noted that uh, <laughs> there's a long-running history with Josh Groban, who's our sponsor on the show. Uh, well, not just our sponsor. He's he's a big fan of our products. So uh, one of the tweets is, check out Josh Groban's new album, Josh Groupon. He sings you the best in local offers. The deals may expire, but the melodies are forever. Mm, nice. That's at PitchPod. Um, check those out uh, in between episodes. Uh, it's one of... What do you you drop them like what Tuesdays or Wednesdays? It's like midweek, right? Yeah, Wednesday is when it usually comes out, right? Yeah, and they're they're very easily digestible. I know Livius and I tend to uh, just ramble on for hours, but uh, uh, usually like what twenty to thirty minutes or so. And uh, yeah, they're they're all just hilarious. Well, thank you. Anything? Brayton, how is podcasting? How has podcasting changed your life? Uh, well, I find that I have less free time now. Uh, I have no money to show for it. Uh, but I'd like to really, it gives me a reason to talk about myself, uh, with strangers and other people, um, more than I used to before. So, you know, all in all, in all it's a net positive, I'd say. Yeah. There you go. It's kind of like, uh, like those people who give away everything that they own to live in poverty. It's a little bit what podcasting's like. Kind of, yeah. We're really humanitarians. It's like that. Yeah, it's it. like that, except that um, they those people that give away everything still keep microphones and then just talk about how great it is to give everything away all the time. <laughs> and occasionally they try to sell you a shirt because, God damn it, we gave you enough. Just buy a goddamn shirt. Yeah, please. Right? Right? I'm not talking about right. us necessarily, I mean, but Livius is never going to be a morbidly, be- morbidly obese billionaire. Uh, if we're not moving these shirts, that's yeah. right. That's always somebody yeah. doesn't shirts buy a shirt with love. a microphone. <laughs> uh. Brayton, I'd like to thank you for part one of your participation here because you will be returning for our Joey Camo interview. Um, yeah, and thank you for all the through, great work. Can we you just do. pretend? Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Thank you. thank you very much, Livius, for having I, me, I, and uh, it's been a pleasure. If we have to pretend my questions are changing for Gamo, to like, how dare you? <laughs> That's like, if we could find a way to ask that question to every interview, E, I think we would. How dare you is probably the best question ever. Yep. Agreed. But, but no, thank opener. you for all the. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for all the great work you do on our show. I know that our listeners um, love you and we love you too. So I just wanted to thank well, you officially thanks. on the podcast. Thanks. I, I like doing it. It's a lot of fun to, and I don't know if Rob ever really talked about it, but I basically just decided to write a news <laughs> piece, like, and just gave him the file. Like, he didn't ask for it. I just did it. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. All right, um, this is something that I think uh, anybody with a podcast can identify with. But if you don't, you don't really know it's like something that exists. But when you're talking to someone about having a podcast they always think of something they can do to be a part of your podcast. And most of the time you're like, that's a terrible idea. Um, Brayton offhandedly mentioned the, the 
booked news thing um, in a conversation. We were talking about my podcast, his podcast. And uh, and I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I was like, yeah, we should talk more about this. But I just kind of forgot about it. And then one day there's just like a file in the email. And I'm like, my God, this is perfect. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Couldn't have asked for anything better. So, yeah, it worked out. Well, thanks. Uh, all right. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Book. Thanks again, Brayton, for coming on. Uh, until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Keep reading.